0: Coming up next on Twitch, this week in computer hardware, new chipsets, think USB 3 and Thunderbolt, the Connect SDK, Core i7 notebooks, self erasing drives, missing RAM, and when you should ignore the recall. It's all coming up next on Twitch. Netcasts you love
1: from people you trust.
0: This, this is Twitch. Twit. Bandwidth for Twitch is provided by CashFly at cachefl com. This is Twitch, This Week in Computer Hardware, Episode 115, recorded April 14, 2011. Ignore the recall, people.
1: This episode of This Week in Computer Hardware is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free 14-day trial, go to squarespace.com slash twitch. And by Netflix. Watch thousands of TV episodes and movies streamed to your PC, Mac, or TV instantly. Plus, get DVDs by mail in about one business day. For your free 30-day trial, go to netflix.com slash twit.
0: Welcome to Twitch, This Week in Computer Hardware. I'm Patrick Dorton, joined as always by the man, the myth, the PCPer.com legend, Mr. Ryan Schrout. What's
1: up, man? Uh, not much it's finally getting nice weather out here and everything uh, forcing myself to stay inside and work though however difficult it might be
0: is it actually like 70 degrees and sunny shirt sleeve weather
1: um, it was more like in the 60s today i probably could have worn shorts but yeah <laughs> you know whatever let's try to class it up for way. you guys on the show right so i got i got jeans on or do we I? don't
0: actually know that that you you we've never seen you stand up man
1: <laughs> <laughs> i might not be wearing pants patrick
0: <laughs> that's uh probably something, something we would to have got <laughs> <laughs> look it's chipset week here on twitch
1: <laughs> it is it well, is there's a lot of weird con- chipset a lot a lot of weird announcements <laughs> slash Promises of announcement and that kind of stuff. I guess first thing we'll talk about is USB 3.0 and chipset adoption and all that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, frequent listeners or viewers of the show will know that we like we like us some USB 3.0. It's uh, fast. It's, <laughs> it's fast.
0: Backwards compatible. Uh, it's
1: compatible. Yes, uh, all, all, of the, all of those good things. All two of those with the third repeated. Those are all awesome. And if you if you've had USB 3.0 on your motherboard and you have an accessory and you've used it. You understand our enthusiasm for it. Anytime you can get 350 to 400 megs of actual throughput on on an external device, that's really, really impressive. Right now, all the motherboards, all the laptops, all the systems that have it, they're all using third-party chips. Um, NEC is probably the most popular one right now. There's something such as an R, Revasis. There's another couple of controllers. VIA has a controller uh, that's in the mix as well. Nobody still has integrated USB 3.0 on the chipset directly, um, which is it's probably kind of expected. We, ha- we don't see as many chipset iterations in 2011 as we used to, say, in 2007 or 2008, where it seemed like every, every quarter or some, something like that, there was an NVIDIA or a VIA or an SIS or an Ali or something like that chipset iteration coming out into the market. Now, that chipsets pretty much don't matter anymore. For the most part, uh, we're left with AMD and Intel and and how quickly they iterate with this stuff. So the first bit was uh, news that AMD was going to be the first major microprocessor manufacturer to have USB 3.0 capable chipsets certified by the USB Implementers Forum. Uh, This was a news post, news story found on uh, The Register uh, they were talking to AMD spokesman Phil Hughes, talking about the A7, A75 and A70M FCHs, which are fusion controller hubs now, uh, are shipping today to OEMs, and the company would have more news um, on desktop-related parts in the coming weeks. Now, the fusion controller hub means that this is going towards the low-end parts and probably what we're going to see in the upcoming AMD Lano release as well. Um, so that's, that's good news for desktop users, people that want to build new systems. It looks like uh, the parts will have four USB 3.0 ports, 10 USB 2.0 ports, and two USB 1.1 ports for whatever reason that is, I guess. Did you see 10 USB 2.0 ports? 10 USB 2.0, yes. That's kind of, I'm into that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now that doesn't mean every motherboard is going to implement that many, right? right? That just means the chipset has support for it. And I think if we I think like the P sixty seven motherboards and that kind of stuff, like the modern ones, I think they actually support up to twelve USB ports. It's right. just how many can you fit on that back panel and do motherboard makers do do motherboard makers include the headers form? Does your case have header uh, cables to connect to these types of things? Um, you know, having four USB 3.0 ports is great. Uh, I don't know if you've run into this yet. I don't know if you've built a system since USB 3.0 has started kind of filtering out. One of the biggest problems is there's no standard for USB 3.0 headers on the motherboard, pinouts on the motherboard. Do you remember when um, you used to have to get... You got the USB headers from the motherboards, and they were all With individual pins. Multiple
0: separate pins, and you'd have yeah. to hopefully find the actual pinout for the USB 2.0 interpretation. I won't say, integ- not implementation, because implementation implies that there is a standard that's being met, but in this case, the, the motherboard manufacturer's best guess of what the pinout should be. Yeah. Um, and I it's tried a
1: motherboard or two frustrating. Frustrating.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's, it's completely unnecessary because you'd think, like, once they've gone through the gigantic, you know, IEEE or whatever, you know, certification crew is battling out over the, the actual specs, they could just take five seconds and be like, and, and let's do five pins in this shape, with this one will be blank, and, and do the standard connector. Um, and, and it's really funny. I mean, Intel also announced this week. Um, Ivy Bridge, the follow-up to Sandy Bridge, is going to include USB 3.0, kind of a given. Uh, well, right. actually, not kind of a given, because it's also going yeah. to include Thunderbolt, which is currently found on MacBook Pros and Intel technology being debuted on Apple MacBook Pros. And it's the sort of combined high-speed bus which has almost no products. And oh yes, it's also uh, you know an HDMI competitor, um, which is probably a, a gross oversimpl- oversimplification, even for me. Right. but um you know it's it's kind of crazy like 10 gigabits per second um um peak speed for thunderbolt so it's obviously ready for the 3d video happiness um but it's interesting it's i'm kind of happy because i was afraid that intel was going to be pushing thunderbolt super hard and try to bury usb 3.0 and uh uh, I, I, for one, am pleased that the next generation, I'm almost kind of tempted to wait for my next major uh, CPU upgrade until those uh, uh, Ivy Bridge uh, uh, parts are wait out. Let me a while, though.
1: Well, I'm, I mean, I'm pretty happy with i 7 right now. Yeah. Uh, I, I still think you should be a little bit worried about uh, Intel's commitment to USB 3.0 versus their commitment right. to Thunderbolt. Um, Lip service is the first step, man. (laughs) That's true. It it is the first step. It could also possibly be the last step. I think it depends a lot on how, if Thunderbolt isn't adopted, like if we don't see tons of accessories for it, if it doesn't really catch on, I think Intel's kind of, maybe they're hedging both bets, right? They're like, okay, Apple really wanted this. If it catches on, boom, we've got it on everything. And if it doesn't, hey, you know what? We've still got USB 3.0. This is maybe what the people actually really want. Uh, and we'll go down that road uh intel's still going to be at, at, look we're talking about at least a year behind if they're talking about 2012 you know if they're talking about march or april it's a year behind what amd has in terms of actual usb 3.0 support and again i guess we need to say this doesn't mean you're not going to get it on intel products or intel boards it's just it's going to be a third-party chip it's going to be an extra add-on a little bit extra cost um but I, it's, it's interesting almost. I don't want to say almost everything, but most motherboards we're seeing released today have USB 3.0. A lot of notebooks are coming out now with USB 3.0. It's one of those things that I think it's catching on Mm -hmm. in consumer space faster than these uh, accessory makers actually know about, or not that they know about, but that they're paying attention and that they care about, something like that, Um, because... You know, you go to your Best Buys, you go to those retail establishments, it's, you, know, you don't see a lot of push about USB 3.0, you don't see, I don't see anybody talking about it or a lot of products kind of promoting it type of thing. Um, and you would think for a company like Western Digital, Seagate, that make a lot of high margin on uh, external you know, backup drives and that kind of stuff, that this would be a kind of a key selling point for them. Um, so, I'm interesting.
0: I'm trying to find, like, an actual Thunderbolt accessory in the wild. Um,
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Let's see Apple.com
0: slash Thunderbolt. There's the port. There's the logo with the fancy arrow. There's the video adapter. Yeah.
1: (laughs) You know what's going to be out before Thunderbolt accessories, though? The SDK for... Ice Spring 2011, which we are currently in. Uh, did they actually give us an actual date? It's this week or something like that, isn't it? I thought they just said this spring. Let me let me. I found the actual, the
0: research.microsoft.com/en-us/blah blah 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 blah. Connect SDK. So just right. saying, Spring 2011 at this point. Okay. Later this spring, the Connect for Windows SDK is a programming toolkit that will enable researchers and enthusiasts easy access to the capabilities offered by the Microsoft Connect device. And I'm actually surprised they didn't stop in the middle of that sentence. The fastest-selling consumer electronics item ever. <laughs> That's a little because, because literally, like, they're like, we've 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 sold more Connects fast than any other consumer electronics device in history. Because they say that like every five minutes at Microsoft. And props to them. It's ridiculously popular, Um, but Microsoft Windows 7 SDK, uh, audio processing, Um, which includes a four-element microphone array with sophisticated acoustic noise and echo cancellation for crystal clear audio. Sound source localization for beamforming, which enables the determination of a sound spatial location, depth data, highly permanent robust skeletal tracking capabilities for determining the body positions of one or two persons, Uh, documentation for the API, sample code. Sample code is going to be really fun to watch people play with as soon as this hits. and I gotta say, I'm really disappointed. I've been talking on Twitter today uh, about mm-hmm. the Xbox 360 Kinect hack for Netflix, and apparently it's all audio. Because I was ready to, I was, I was ready Ooh. to brave the possibility of divorce or, or simply being flat out killed for bringing <laughs> a console game home, uh, into you know, bringing a console game into my home. My wife's not big on consoles. Um, because I wanted to have the whole i wanted to get my Tom Cruise minority report on and flip through queues and it 's just yep. the implementation is very uh, i will be uh, gentle and say that it is very sparse uh, in terms <laughs> of what you would think for a a connect implementation yeah
1: it's like uh, the zoom interface for uh, connect <clears throat> is still pretty sparse i mean you it's it was really it was a really cool thing to to show you know it 's like my parents and my sister and my family and stuff where you could put your hand up and move it across the screen and scroll through the music selections, and that kind of stuff. It's really cool. I'm very excited for uh, what people are going to be able to do with this connect SDK. Um, I've probably done three or four of those kind of like homebrew hacks. I don't Mm want to say how successfully, um, but for like the, the Nintendo Wii remotes, how you could do uh, the head tracking, how you could do the digital whiteboard on your wall on anything. Um, with those devices. We played around with at least a handful of those, and it was really, really cool every time. Um, and I think, you know, connecting one of these up to a PC, hooking it up to a, you know, a home theater PC hooked up to your TV, what kind of interesting implementations they're going to find is going to be really cool. And I, you know, Microsoft doesn't have to do this. They don't have to open up this SDK no. to the community like this. And, and I think they should get a lot of props for doing that um, because it's not something they've necessarily done in the past. Uh, you still can't buy third-party Xbox 360 wireless controllers because they didn't want to open up
0: that right. standard.
1: Uh, and so I think it's pretty cool. And actually, I was just saw on Engadget that there was... Oh, that was from March. Uh, the Xbox Connect on PS3 hack, which <laughs> is even even more interesting. Um,
0: if you haven't so yeah. seen it, by the way, check out connecthacks.net which is kind of a gathering point. It's everything from, like, crazy, you know, graduate thesis, doctoral, you know, thesis, uh, graduate program, doctoral thesis level, you know, computer science experimentation to more like, look, here's a kid controlling a planetarium with, you know, the Kinect. Um, It's a really interesting kind of – it's amazing to see how much people are doing with – Incredibly limited support from Microsoft for the device and right. how much they've accomplished so far. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm actually super excited to see what – I, I want to watch this explode on Windows 7. Uh, mostly, though, I just want to get my Windows Media Center on. I just want to be able to, like, lie on the couch and wave one hand and never have to look for the remote control again. <laughs> right.
1: That's true. That would, that would be nice. I would, I would also appreciate that.
0: How did the uh, Asus N53S, that Core i7 Notebook, fare in the testing?
1: Uh, Very well. This was published at PCPer.com. Matt Smith, our notebook reviewer, uh, wrote it all up and everything. But we've gotten a lot of questions here on the show, specifically about uh, Sandy Bridge notebooks, when they're going to be available, uh, they want high performance, not a whole lot of price. This is the ASUS N53S. The S indicates that it is the next-gen Sandy Bridge iteration. This particular model had a Core i7-2630, which runs at 2 GHz, uh, discrete NVIDIA GTX 540M graphics with uh, support for the Optimus technology. So it turns off the discrete GPU when you're using integrated, and it turns back on when you're doing gaming, that types of thing. Uh, 4 gigs of memory, 750 gigs standard, 7200 RPM hard drive. Uh, dvd drive a so 15.6 inch screen with a 1366 by 768 resolution display do you think that's a uh an acceptable resolution on that it seems a little low <laughs> to me for a 15 inch monitor but at
0: this point you know on, on one hand yeah it seems a little low on the other hand you know we just did a, we were talking actually on on texel this week because the kid's like i'm a I'm a programmer. My projects are getting big. I need a a desktop monitor. And I talked to a bunch of friends of mine who are programmers. And what these guys are using in terms of like triple desk, you know, double monitors is a big deal for me. But like the idea of like creating a setup where you're running three, like 24 inch monitors or multiple 30 inch flat panels. In various, you know, landscape and portrait modes. So my whole concept of how much desk space I need exploded recently. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm going to say 1366 is way too small. On the other hand, I know a lot of people who are immensely frustrated with high-resolution notebook desktops. Huh. You know, people who aren't Photoshop, you know, because they're just like, why is everything so small? And then it's like, okay, um, we're going to go right-click on the desktop and... And, nice. you know, make everything bigger. But, yep. yeah, for a 15-inch flat panel, that seems a little on the low side. But, you know, maybe Asus it's is probably right in the normal range. Yeah,
1: that's true. Yeah. Um, the only, see, it had, it, it's got a brushed aluminum finish. It actually looks really nice, uh, well-designed, not, nothing too fancy. Again, it's not a, a $3,000 machine. If you go to the second page of the review... You'll see a YouTube video embedded there of the keyboard flex, which is the only problem he had with this machine. Um, And in particular, in a couple of specific locations, the keyboard flex is noticeably bad. So depending on how receptive you are to that, and it might be on a per individual unit um, case, but obviously you can't tell that. Um, It has decent battery life, uh, six and a half pounds, so it's not super portable. Right. But it is uh, reasonable, six and a half pounds battery life. I think we're talking somewhere in the four to four and a half range for a mm-hmm. standard, you know, eight-cell battery. Not too bad there. That's pretty it's manageable. Performance, yeah, it is. Uh, performance is really good, as you'd expect. Sandy Bridge processor, discrete graphics. It ran through the SciSoft benchmarks, uh, PC Mark Vantage 7zip, beating out, you know, the the Core 2 based stuff, right. uh, or even the uh, Linfield or Arendale based parts pretty handily, and it did, did decently for gaming, especially since we're, again, stuck at that 1366 resolution there. Uh, best part, I think, about this <clears throat> is the price. You can find it on Amazon for $1, 050, That's $1,050. That's cheap. Actually, it just went down to one thousand
0: nineteen ninety nine. So, well, let, let me ask you a quick question. Let me pull a viewer question before we before we take our first uh, ad break. Um, We had an email from David talking about Core i5 versus Core i7. He's talking about MacBook Pro, but I think it Mm -hmm. applies really Mac or PC across the board. He's wondering, will you see a big performance jump uh, choosing the Core i7 over the Core i5? In David's case, uh, he mixes sound for indie films. He's a soundtrack pro, so he's going to be hammering the CPU as hard as he can. Um, but he says, you know, 300 pounds, at 600 bucks, give or take. is a lot of money when you work in the struggling Scottish film industry. <laughs> Um, I'm going to resist the powerful urge to make the, if it's not Scottish, it's crap joke, which I guess I just did. I'd like to apologize to everyone in Scotland. Um, but what do you, in terms of pure performance, like on the benchmark or applications, what's the kind of the spread you usually see between the Core i5 and the Core i7? Um,
1: I'm going to assume he's talking about Sandy Bridge only based right. here. He's talking about the MacBook Pro. Um, so the Core i5 doesn't have hyper-threading. So that, that's kind of the difference. Frequencies are going to vary. Like You'll be able to find Core i5s that run at frequencies about as high as the Core i7s. Um, $600, $500, whatever it is, is a, is a, a lot of money. Um, right. If he's doing video editing, it might be worth it because you're going to see hyper-threading improvements that way, uh, without a doubt. Um, if you go to, I guess... Um, if you look at the reviews of, if you look at the reviews of the desktop processors, if we take a look at, if I can uh, use my own browser here for a second, for some reason I don't know what's going on, but look at the performance differences between the Core i5 and the Core i7s of similar frequencies. If you can even go to our site or any other hardware site for that matter, uh, and look at the desktop versions, and you'll see whatever percentage difference there is there kind of assume that that same kind of percentage difference is going to exist in the mobile form factor. Um, And specifically, look at applications like Handbrake, where we're dealing with video. Uh, Those are transcoding, not necessarily editing and that type of stuff. But at the end, what you're doing is transcoding, right? Right. Um, For me personally, if I was buying a laptop and it was $1,500 versus $2,000, I would probably go with the $1,500 option, even mm-hmm. if I was going to do some modest audio-video editing in that regard. Because we're talking about, we're not just talking about $500, bucks, you are talking about 33% of the cost right. of that notebook as well. Um, and hyper-threading does improve performance, but it's not like adding new cores. Let me see if I can jump over to, this, to these benchmarks here. Um, trying to see which one of these have it. No, I don't have any exact lined up uh, benchmark results to compare it. But I mean... In the desktop variant, the Core i7-2600 is not really that much faster than the 20, Core i5-2500 um, right. handbrake. Okay, here we go. It goes from 145 frames per second to 108 frames per second. That is the drop, essentially, uh, in losing hyper-threading. So in that particular case, we're talking about 40-ish percent performance, which is pretty good. That's like a best-case scenario Pure transcoding, a CPU, 100% limited, uh, four threads versus eight threads. Right. So depending on what type of software you're using. Um, again, I still, I still think maybe I would lean towards the lower cost option there.
0: It's but kind of funny. If you, if you take a look at Apple's uh, MacBook Pro performance page as you're digging through apple.com, it's like the MacBook Pro application performance up to 2x faster than previous generation MacBook Pros. And you click on the 13 inches, which is the Core i5 version uh, versus the 15-inch, and it's kind of like, hmm, okay, 15-inch, 2.2, 13-inch, 2.1. Cinebench, 11, yep. 1.9X for the 13, and 2.0. You know, it's, it's amazing, actually, how close they are. Yeah. Although it's, it's going to be interesting to see uh, with the new version of Final Cut Pro coming out. Um, that, that was such big news at NAB this week. It'll be really interesting, I think, to see what's going on in terms of optimization inside the application for video editors. Although, you know, I guess the I don't know what he'd be using for the soundtrack on that. I, I, I guess part of what I'm saying it's amazing how uh, updating the code and the algorithms can take advantage of hardware and produce ridiculous performance boosts. Should we take a moment to thank our friends at Squarespace?
1: Uh, Absolutely, we should. This episode of this week in computer hardware is brought to you by that very sponsor, Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. You know, one of the best things you can do if uh, you are perhaps looking to buy a new notebook, looking to buy it for a specific purpose, is to create a blog where you write down all your ideas, write down all your thoughts. It's a good way of keeping notes. It's a good way to point other people to your questions or your ideas or, hey, what do you think about comparing these two systems? Even if you're just emailing one of us, if you can just send us a link to your blog where you have these things kind of side-by-side laid out, that makes it much easier for people to get that information. And for you, you just have easy access to what was I thinking two weeks ago about this purchase price? One of the best ways you can do that Squarespace.com. It's an easy to use user interface for creating and managing a website or blog. And if you don't have any experience with it in the past, you'll be able to do this. It's optimized for beginners and experts. If you know CSS and you want to get in there and change all your div stylings around, you can absolutely do that, but you don't have to. And that's what's key about Squarespace. There are lots of templates. Uh, you can use those templates. You could start with a template and make edits, change colors, change fonts, move things around very, very easily. And if you want to move them around, it's, it's, like, it's like a simple AJAX interface. If you know what that means, it just means if you like what's on the right column, chances are with Squarespace's <laughs> interface, you'll just be able to drag it over to the left side, hit save, and boom, your, your website is now reformatted. And... Uh, I tell you what, I could have really used some of those features uh, in website design years and years ago (laughs) when we were building ours, that's for sure. Back in the bad Uh, old days. (laughs) Wow, I'm glad I don't have to look at that code much anymore. Uh, There are all kinds of modules. There are blog modules, uh, forums, form builders, if you want to collect information from users, uh, Flickr photo displays, Twitter widgets, Google Maps, a whole lot more. It has website tracking, search engine optimizing, permission access handling, if you want to have multiple people using the same website. Uh, it's based on a cloud architecture, so you don't have to worry about speed or reliability. If you get a lot of traffic, you don't have to worry about the server crashing. They take care of all of that for you. Uh, you can use Squarespace for all of your website needs to build it, host it, and update it anytime. Now, if you want a free 14-day trial, go to squarespace.com, sign up for a free account. There's no credit card needed. Just try it out and build your website. You get two weeks, You know, build the website up. If you don't like it, Cancel it, you're done. You don't, you know, you don't mm-hmm. even have to worry about calling them to remember to call them within that two-week window because you don't have to give them a credit card when you sign up. It's one of those things that free trials always kind of bothered me when they do that. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to do that in this mm-hmm. case. Uh, Squarespace.com slash Twitch is the URL we'd like you to use, T-W-I-C-H, uh, for, for, for that free 14-day trial. And we thank them for their support of the show. Yay. Thank you, Squarespace. Yeah. Well, I guess we got a few more news bits to get to, right? Yeah. Okay. Do we care about the
0: GeForce GT 520? I don't. All right. Intel Micron <laughs> announced the first 20 nanobit. Basically, it's a new low-end GPU. Yeah. If you're
1: curious. Uh, if you want to, re- if you got integrated graphics and you need something to do just barely a little bit more, that's the type of card you're going for.
0: <laughs> slightly less sucktastic than onboard graph, or slightly. Yeah. Intel Micron, I've uh, announced 20 nanometer uh, MLC NAND flash for use in solid state drives. Um, it's kind of funny. Uh, Nantech uh, had a pretty good article on this one. And Nan shimpy over at a Nantech, and he's like, We just started <laughs> testing SSDs based on uh, IMFT 25 nanometer NAND flash. And look what Intel Micron just announced the first 8 gigabyte MLC NAND device built on a 20 nanometer process. Um, you know, it's going to be much later this year at the earliest before they start shipping uh, production quality. And and what's kind of what, what's interesting is is one of the things that uh, Anand pointed out is that 50 nanometers uh, IMFT Nam was good for 10,000 program erase cycles, rated, not actual. They moved to 34 nanometers, dropped that to three to five thousand program erase cycles, uh, and then they managed to hold that three to five thousand when they moved to 25 nanometer. Uh, mm-hmm. Micron basically says that they're going to keep it. So they're kind of you know as the product evolves we're going to keep that three to five thousand program race cycles uh and before everybody starts waving their hands going three to five thousand program race cycles won't my you know ssd become right. incredibly useless in six months um they're doing some pretty sophisticated management of how data is written and the truth is most of what you do on on a drive is actually read data um but it's interesting to watch uh uh, it's interesting to watch how fast this is evolving, and it's—they've got a pretty good uh, up the Nantech page. They've got like 34 nanometer versus 25 nanometer versus 20 nanometer, and yeah. you're looking at like, you know, two-bit per cell MLC NAND device, uh, 118 millimeters squared at nanometer. Uh, <laughs> it's, you know, they didn't even have a single eight gigabyte NAND device at 34 nanometers, which is right. like. It, it's it's I just you know it's i've been watching Moore's law for pretty much my entire adult life but it still makes me go wow <laughs> aerial density is cool yep. um the flip side though is, is something we were actually talking about uh with anand uh, uh, last week when we had them on, is like the 50% reductions, you know, over the course of a year in SSD prices are pretty much gone. <laughs> um, but you can look for maybe 20 to 30%, 30% way on the outside uh, uh, as as they drop from 20 nanometer nan down to 25 nanometer nan. So that is something. Prices will continue to drop, just not as aggressively as they were in the first year of SSD mayhem.
1: It, that's bad news for consumers, I think, overall, but it's good news yeah. for those people who maybe were on the verge of buying something, the, the, mm-hmm. the always-gotta-waits, so to speak. Um, <laughs> you don't have to worry about that 50% price drop hitting it's you. Time. Soon as you buy. <laughs> so, yeah, it might be time to actually pick up and buy. So, um, Speaking of storage and hard drives, how would you like uh, a hard drive that automatically erases itself? doesn't sound really cool uh, <laughs> when you word it that way, but if we're talking about security reasons... It might be more appealing. This is a Toshiba self-encrypting drives uh, enable system manufacturers to configure different data invalidation options that align with various end-user scenarios. That's kind of a roundabout way of saying if uh, the hard drive gets stolen and they put it in a different computer, it has the ability to wipe itself clean right. so that they don't access your data. It's is this something th- consumers need to worry about, or well, it, it, I
0: mean, it's 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 probably more of an enterprise corporate thing. Um, you know, one of the things that's really interesting about the Intel 320, their, their latest round of uh, uh, solid-state drives, is that they have on-the-fly encryption built in. With the idea that you can encrypt, basically, you know, minimizing the performance penalty for encrypting the content of your hard drives and securing it, um, essentially, not so much against well, it, well, essentially against theft, right? You know, want people to be able right. to access your data. Um, what's interesting is the uh, computer world, the computer world article that talks about uh, these new Toshiba self-erasing drives is, is, you know, they're like two and a half inch, seventy-two hundred RPM drives, not really big, like 160, 640 gigabytes. Um, but they're for PCs, copiers, and multifunction printers, along with point-of-sale systems. So they're very targeted at, at, at sort of verticals, um, you know, areas where you have a legal liability if the information escapes. So it's I think they're probably going to be uh, – I, I don't know if I'm going to say they're considerably expensive, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's a, a pretty healthy uh, premium on these drives compared to a stock, uh, a standard Toshiba two and a half inch, 7200 RPM drive. I mean AES 256 bit encryption uh, is built on board. Um, a quote proprietary data wipe technology from uh, uh, the Trusted Computing Group, the o- basically it's the Opal storage specification. Mm. And it's going to be interesting. It's like. Wright said Toshiba's technology allows multiple ways that data can be invalidated. Wipe 0, standard ATA security and TCG Opal data invalidation command protocol. Wipe 1, protected data range is invalidated at every power cycle. So basically, it tries to wipe it every time it comes up. Um, (laughs) Wipe 2, protected data range is invalidated if an uncertified host is connected. Wipe 3, protected data range is invalidated if a driver sees multiple invalid unlock commands. Um. <laughs> when asked what might happen if a host motherboard failed, Wright said, "Wipe one would not be the ideal setting for data
1: protection." <laughs> so that seems uh, appropriate. Yeah. I, do you worry about? Well, we're joking about it, but do we worry about this right. accidentally being enabled? And uh, I think they were joking on on TNT yesterday or day before, whenever this news came out. That right. you know, what if you just. What if a user just takes their hard drive out of the laptop and plugs it into something else just thinking, oh, I'm just going to copy some data over (laughs) or – and all of a sudden, they're like, hey, oops.
0: This is why you should always back up your data (laughs) locally and – on I mean, like, You know what I mean? Every every week, every show, people are going to stop listening because they don't want to hear – they don't want to be told to back up. But it's literally – it's like – you know I think these drives are gonna be targeted i th- I think it's gonna be extremely unusual for one of these drives to show up uh, in any consumer I think people I think consumers are gonna to have to go out of their way to find one of these to install in a notebook. I think in most cases, you know think they're gonna show up in you know of sale computer systems you know basically large verticals where it's like you've got an insurance company storing critical information or a hospital storing critical information that they don't want to you know what i mean they don't they don't want somebody to be able to sneak into the hospital and unscrew the back of something and and swap the drive out so i think the large infrastructure that will be surrounding these verticals will help protect uh uh, from that kind of data loss. On the flip side, you know, security equals the possibility of not being able to get to the stuff you secured. I don't know. Right.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. So
0: we'll get an email from somebody in a few months about how they got one of these drives <laughs> and couldn't access their data when their, their motherboard died. But right. uh, It'll, it'll be interesting to see what uh, what comes out of that. I just thought it was a fascinating concept, the idea that they're, they're building this into the hard drive level.
1: And Eventually, computers that, will make all of our decisions for us. That's, let's just get started now.
0: And, you know, it's one of my... Yeah, let's not even go there. Skynet, Google. Um.
1: <laughs> now, you mentioned consoles a little bit earlier, that you're not allowed to have them. Um, we don't talk about them a whole lot here, but when we comes up with new hardware. Maybe we do want to talk about it. This was interesting. There's a lot of news floating around now about a Nintendo, new Nintendo console. Um, yeah. I haven't heard a whole lot about this other than that it, I don't know if they're just going to call it Nintendo HD, but it's going to be about at the performance level of the current PS3 and Xbox 360, right. um, which is a big improvement over its current, um, right. current configuration. But I, I would think... For, for our standpoint, we're hardware guys. We we like to see advancements in hardware. Um, Xbox 360's been out for five years right. now. Uh, so now Nintendo is catching up to being five years behind um, is the cynical way of looking at things, right? Yeah, well, it's also...
0: It also I mean, Nintendo... Okay, the 3DS is kind of lame. Sorry, Nintendo fanboys and girls. But the... Uh, I just I just think the 3DS is kind of something they built because 3D was really big in the news last year. The only thing
1: but, I would like about it, have you seen the um those games that you have the cards on the table or whatever yes. and, that I, I was, think is actually really
0: cool. We had uh, Kyle Weens from iFixit on uh on Textil and he brought us 3DS as we were gutting an iPad. He was actually talking about what how it, what a difficult device it is to get inside of. But yeah, yeah. I found myself sitting there on the table like pink and I don't, I don't know how long that would last. <laughs> it's a little yellow cube crawls I've out only, of the...
1: Yeah, I've only really played with it in stores, so you might be right. Anyway, I didn't mean to sidetrack us there.
0: No, but I mean, I, I think part of it's N- Nintendo's like, we're focusing on gameplay. We're focusing on, on so much of the classic Nintendo experience. Um, we're just going to quick scoot out 1080p capabilities you know it's almost like they're building i almost feel like nintendo is building this so they can have parity with stuff like netflix or voodoo or hulu um more so uh on that side of the of, of being an anchor for a home entertainment system right because i think sd starting to really hurt them that way um then they have You know, i mean i don't think they really care about trying to do a big tech leapfrog over the xbox 360 or the ps3 partially because you know I'm sure there's another Xbox and, and another PS3, you know, the PS4, I guess, would be coming. I just don't see Microsoft or Sony being at the point where they want to have to do that whole entire console launch, incredible amount of investment. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, they will.
1: <laughs> they will eventually, um, but they're definitely stringing things on as long as they possibly can, You're making as much money now as opposed to that initial investment period. One of the other things I read here uh, at a site called Game Rant is that the other uh, rumor going behind is that the controllers are going to be very different with this new console system, especially mm-hmm. if you consider when the Wii came out, uh, the motion controls were very innovative and um, unique at the time. Since then, right. you've had the Move and the Kinect and uh, higher resolution capability in these controllers. And uh, I. That's going to be completely revamped. And they're also talking about the possibility of having a built-in color LCD on each of the controllers as well. And they referenced the Sega Dreamcast with the VMU thing on there. I remember very specifically that, and the only time it was ever useful for me was uh, playing like sports games, football, where you chose your play on that as opposed to on the screen where your opponent could see. So that was always interesting. But it should be kind of cool, you know. I, I am. I am a. I am a gamer on both PCs and consoles, so I am ready for updates to the the 360 and the PS3 and all that type of stuff. I like to see new hardware and what they can push out and that kind of stuff. And if they upgrade these consoles, it's good news for PC gamers that want better image quality on their PC games. We always talk about PC games coming out being console ports where they don't spend a lot of time improving it for the extra horsepower you get on the PC. If they improve the horsepower on the Xbox 360 and PS3, that will help in that regard as well. So. Exciting uh, stuff. Let's talk uh, quickly before we get into our emails here about the second of today's sponsors. That would be Netflix. Speaking of the Wii, the Xbox 360, and the PlayStation 3, which you can Absolutely do. Streaming video on with your Netflix account. Very cool. Uh, it delivers movies directly to your home. Saves you time, money, and hassle. If you've never heard of Netflix, I don't know where you've been. They are a great service for movies, TV watching, whether or not you're getting these DVDs or Blu-ray sent to your house, or through the streaming technologies that they have. Uh, you can instantly watch thousands of TV episodes and movies. Stream to your PC or Mac, or to a Netflix-ready device, including the consoles we just mentioned. And a lot of DVD players, a lot of Blu-ray players, a lot of TVs have this all built in. Um, Plus, you can still get DVDs by mail in about one business day. Uh, My household, it's kind of what it works. My wife likes to get the physical copies in. I prefer to do the streaming. Obviously, you have different selections for both, so sometimes you make compromises. Um, You can watch as many movies as you want, anytime you want. There are never any late fees and no due dates. So that's pretty cool. (laughs) <laughs> um, one of the movies that actually I was also impressed to see uh, was available on Netflix streaming is the new Star Trek flick from J.J. Abrams. I was a big fan of that I was not a, I have to admit I'm not a Star Wars or Star Trek junkie growing up. I was always on the Star Wars side of the fence. I much preferred that over Star Trek. Star Trek always seemed a little bit stodgier, more for people like my dad, where <laughs> Star Wars seemed more like people who were younger. But the new Star Trek movie was, was good. It brought me back into the fold of things. I really like that. You can stream that to your PC instantly right now if you go to Netflix and sign up for an account. Um, you can watch it instantly now or any other TVs, uh, any of other thousands of TV episodes or other movies when you register for the free trial at netflix.com twit. T W I T twit. Uh, If you sign up for your free trial there, instantly watch anything. Start signing up for uh, those DVDs or Blu-rays by mail. I think you're going to enjoy the service. I know you're going to enjoy the service if you are a movie or TV lover, as Patrick and I are. Yeah, no.
0: Netflix Netflix is what enabled my wife and I to cut the satellite cable. (laughs) Oh yeah. Without Netflix,
1: my wife's uh, recent trip to the uh, OR and then subsequently laying on the couch for two weeks would have been uh, much more painful for both of us. Oh my Let's goodness. Is she okay? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything's fine. Okay. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of resting, a lot of downtime. So all made easier by Netflix streaming and Netflix DVDs. So
0: this is true. Alan's got a question about, well, Alan has an upgrade opportunity. <laughs> Which is a really awesome way of putting it. It says my rig is currently running four 500-gig WD Blue hard disk drives in a RAID 10 configuration, which has worked flawlessly so far. However, as is sadly the case with our beloved computer's, performance has slowly deteriorated over time from use. I'm going to reformat and do a fresh install, of 64-bit Win 7, but I was contemplating an upgrade to an SST boot drive. Do it. Brief system overview as follows i7 920 with mild overclocking to 3.6 gig, EVGA motherboard, uh, GTX 570, 6 gigs of RAM, a Corsair TX 850 watt power supply, and that giant collection of hard drives. The question here is threefold, gentlemen. First, given my motherboard doesn't support SATA 3, what is the current price performance sweet spot for SATA 2 SSDs? I know a SATA 3 out in the market, the older drives should start falling in price. It's more of a dream than a reality. But where should I (laughs) be looking for the most performance bang for my buck? Performance here is priority over price. Second, as we know, the longer I wait, the cheaper everything will be. But is now as good a time as any to jump Mm -hmm. in without feeling like it got ripped off in six months. Do you expect a big price drop in the near future? Third, should I forget about the SSD upgrade until I upgrade my motherboard to take advantage of SATA three? Um, well, in kind of we we sort of addressed the the SSD price drops. Um, you, you will feel annoyed in six months. I don't feel you will. I don't think you will be looking at the SSD through the wall of your your PC case, thinking what an incredible waste of money that was. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I probably wouldn't wait to upgrade to sata 3 because it, i i've got some friends who are programmers who upgrade their drives every 15 minutes uh mm. as, especially high because they they're dealing with huge volumes of data and huge amounts of, of of uh just ridiculous amounts of reading and writing off the drive so for them yes my dad once said when he went from a a a a large you know four-door sedan to a 300 zx twin turbo 300 zx he said you know i just gained four hours a week and it took me till i was about 20 to realize he meant he he could drive so fast it was like he had more time because he could get from point a to point b faster if you're doing stuff where you're constantly constantly moving stuff on and off the drive then the ssds are great if there's enough space on the ssd for you right and the, the, the SSD drives are so much faster than anything uh, with a rotating spindle, any classic hard drive. I I don't think you're going to be too traumatized by not getting the SATA three stuff uh, or the six gigabit per second stuff. Um, man, OCC Vertex two. You know the cautions That's about the 128 versus like the 240 drives. Where should we go next with this?
1: Um. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it's a big concern either way. If, right. if you want to be super safe about it, you, I mean, there, if you go to the OCZTechnology.com website, you'll see that they have actually created new model numbers now to differentiate right. between them. Corsair has different model numbers on their uh, Sandforce-based, uh, what do they call the S F series I don't mm-hmm. remember exactly what their model numbers were. Um, to differentiate there, I, I I think, I agree with you, I mean, the SATA 2s are going to be fine. And in fact, for the SATA 6G, uh, SATA 3, 6.0 gigabit per second drives, it's it, you're like basically like you're saying, you're not going to be using the full bandwidth of that very often, so really what you're after is that access time, reliability, that type right. of thing, high IOs per second, and uh, you'll be able to get that on both SATA 3 and SATA 2 drives. So,
0: And of course, read the reviews, Alan's stuff up at pcper.com and Ann's stuff up at nantech.com just, yep. just Read before you drop the big cache. Should we talk about missing RAM?
1: <laughs> yeah, I got an email from Bander here. He says he has an X58 motherboard with an i7 and six gigs of triple-channel memory, two gigs each. Suddenly, one day, Windows could only recognize four gigs. He does have 64-bit Windows. Uh, it could only recognize four gigs of it, or it recognizes the whole six gigs, and it blue screens when gaming and such. After some MIM testing, it turns out that one of the RAM sticks had gone bad. I removed it, and now it's running smoothly. My questions, how much performance am I losing, if any, because I'm using only two sticks of RAM in a three-channel system? Should I buy one more RAM stick to complete the setup? And if so, does it have to be the exact same latency as the older RAM? Uh, Should I just buy a new three-set of RAM? And if so, I want to use the older RAM with the new ones. uh, Will that affect performance, et cetera, et cetera? (laughs) Uh, Thanks for taking the time. Love the show. So that's actually kind of interesting. We've had that happen here right. in our systems as well. You do lose performance when you do not populate all channels of a memory control on a processor. So, in this case, right. you only have two out of three channels of memory. You are losing performance. Um, I would say probably not by an incredible amount. Yeah, I was going to say, I see more performance drops going from six to four gigs down, uh, than from three to two channels.
0: Right. I was I was going to say it's kind of funny. If you have to ask what kind of performance hit you're taking, you're really not feeling that much of a performance hit. That's <laughs> true. You know, it's it's just, you know, I I'd almost goes go so as far as to say tri-channel is 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 fading. You know by the time is is the it gone yes. by the time we get to Ivy Bridge. Probably uh, gone yeah, by I mean, the time we look at if you look at, you, look at
1: you know, uh the, the last triple channel controller was um, you know, the Core i7-900 series of processors. And since then, we've seen Linfield release, we've seen Clarkdale release, we've seen Sandy Bridge release, all of which are dual-channel setups. As it turns out, uh, a, a standard processor, central processing unit, has trouble um, utilizing all of that memory bandwidth. So right. dual-channel seems to be more than enough for most cases. However, if you have a Core i7 system, you do have triple-channel, it's just kind of one of those things... Where you, it's it's like, you just want to make sure they're all full. In my opinion, right. that's what I would do. Uh, of your options, there, buying one or buying another set of three, uh, I would just buy the one, and it doesn't have to be exact. A lot of it, back, you know, when, when integrated memory controllers were first being introduced on processors, that was a big concern. It's not so much now. I run unmatched memory fairly often <laughs> without a whole lot of problems. Um, just make just make sure it's close. If you have DDR3 1600, make sure you got another 30. DDR3-1600. If you can match latencies, that's fine. Um, The worst case scenario is if you buy a new one and it runs a little bit slower uh, Mm -hmm. in cast latency or settings, then the other ones will have to be brought back to match that same thing. Um, And you were asking if you buy another new uh, three set of RAM, could you add the other two in? You're going to have the same issues. You're going to have mismatched RAM capacities in each channel. um, Mm -hmm. So it's not going to properly utilize it anyway. So I would just go with just buy one more stick of RAM. You'll probably be able to get it for 20 bucks, right. $25 or something like that. So I know that because I just ordered, we're, we're building a new video editing rig, dual processor, dual six core processors, um, 24 threads, and we we're putting 24 gigs of memory in it. And I think I got 24 gigs of memory for like $240. It's, like that. It's ridiculously cheap.
0: Yeah. And I also want to take a moment to point out that, you know, as somebody who has 12 gigabytes of RAM in their Core i7 system, yeah. um, if you're not doing big video editing if you're not doing you know crazy 3d applications it's kind of like you know who you are if if you need (laughs) you know 24 gigabytes of ram don't just you know you don't need it to run video games you don't need it to do basic desktop applications you don't need it because you have a really huge spreadsheet unless you have a a spreadsheet the likes of which you know um i i I shudder to even contemplate um six gig is a really nice sweet spot for a uh for a uh, triple-channel uh, uh, yeah, memory system, it and um, you know, it, it's you know, the, you can say, okay, I've got 12 gigs, and Windows is going to be able to cache more uh, application data in in system memory to make for super fast application launches. But it's probably you know, on the flip side, it's probably ridiculously cheap at this point. Um, mm-hmm. But don't feel like you have to have you know, 12 gigabytes of RAM to really get the big performance. And also, you know, one of the things I've, I've heard but have not seen a lot of the testing I'd like to see to understand more what's going on, it's better to have, like, six gigabytes of memory in the three channels than six gigabytes of memory in one gigabyte stick spread across six. Um, True. Um, tri-channels, or, or two sets of tri-channels. So, you know, two gigabyte sticks, three gigabyte sticks, keep them in one set of the tri-channel memory, and you'll be a happier camper if you're thinking about upgrading your memory. <laughs> um, you know, I actually I was stumped by uh, Jack with his iFinity question, and um, he wants to know if you can do a six-monitor iFinity setup with two video cards set up in Crossfire. And for some reason, I want to say no, because, you know, Six monitors is at least two too many in my world, maybe three too many. Can you set up Crossfire and feed six monitors? Uh,
1: it, what he's asking, no. So this, this is one of the, the oh, negatives of right. Ifinity. <laughs> yes, you are right. correct. Because um, that was like when, when the 5000 series of graphics card first came out that supported three displays. Uh, you know, you can do three displays out of one card, do Ifinity that way. You could add in a second card that could also support three displays, but you could not run a single iFinity display configuration across displays coming out of two different cards. So you're limited to a three display iFinity. Now you've got the performance benefits of Crossfire still pushed across those three monitors, but you can only have the displays hooked up to one graphics card. And uh, that's still the case. So no, you won't be able to uh, have two Radeon 5000 or 6000 series cards hook it up to six monitors. You can do that. Right. You'll be able to have six monitors, but you won't be able to run a single iFinity configuration out of them. And the reason (laughs) is uh, the the driver that AMD and NVIDIA now uses with Surround essentially (sighs) trick the operating system into believing that there is one display of a super high resolution connected to Windows. And or connected to, to the graphics card. And That's interesting. And you can't fool it enough to think that it's all coming through one, two different frame buffers, I guess, is what I should say, from two different graphics cards. So if you want six monitor Ifinity configuration, you have to buy the uh, either the 5870 Ifinity Edition graphics card, which had six mini DisplayPort outputs, <laughs> or, or the new way you can do it is... Um, you really can't even do this yet, but DisplayPort 1.2 supports DisplayPort hubs, which so you can have, you know, one DisplayPort coming out and supporting six, one DisplayPort port on your graphics card out to a hub that then has connections for six displays. And you'd be able to do it that way. You might have to have two hubs for that, one for each, one, one for three monitors each. The problem with that is DisplayPort 1.2 hubs like basically don't exist Right now, right. if they do, they're probably incredibly expensive um, because they're so up on that scale of, of, of usage right now. Nobody's, nobody's using them. Um, so it's possible, and that's why AMD hasn't made like a, an iFinity 6 edition graphics card since then. Because they they keep saying, well, display 1.2, you're allowed to split out. But I I think the number of people actually doing a six-panel affinity configuration is pretty low. I was going to
0: say, you better really, really love your flight sim if you're going to commit the cash to make this happen. (laughs) That is very true. Very true. Because I'm sitting there like, why else would you need, you know crossfire and 3d acceleration across six panels i keep coming back to really outrageous flight sim configurations yep jack has a great practical question he says i purchased nasa's p8 p67 pro mobo january 9th built a great sandy bridge system and i'm going to skip the specs so they don't really matter he says the system is right. flawless and really really fast my question is this should i pull the board and return it why because of course the sandy bridge flaw um or should I just leave it? I have my SSD and optical drive and the 6-gig Intel SATA ports, and I have two 2-terabyte two drives and the Marvell 6-gigabit SATA ports, and I'm even using the Jmicron eSATA for an external 2-terabyte hard drive. Pulling the motherboard out would be such a big pain. I don't plan on ever touching the Intel 3-gigabit SATA ports. Do you think it's okay that I just leave well enough alone? Everyone is telling me I'm nuts for not returning the board. Anyways, love the show and would appreciate your thoughts uh and also he says uh ps will motherboard companies continue to release bios efi updates for the b2 stepping boards that actually concerns me more than um than uh, uh the, you know not having access to the three gigabit uh, ports um because part of me is like it works you're happy don't fix it
1: uh-huh. yeah I-, I agree with that um he says, I mean, he even says. I think he answers the question. I don't plan on ever touching Intel three gigabit SATA boards. Right. Um, and even if you do, even then, it's such a rare problem. Like I wouldn't even feel. I wouldn't even feel that bad about it if I if I decided to put an extra couple of drives on those. Um, so no, I, if he if he doesn't want to go through the trouble of pulling out the board, not having a system for anywhere from three days to ten days, depending on your motherboard manufacturer, their return policy, their RMA processing and shipping delays and that kind of stuff, um, then I have no problem with that. I, I, wouldn't, I, don't, I don't think anybody should be calling you crazy for not doing that. Um, you're not getting upgraded boards. It's not like originally we thought MSI was going to try to replace P67 boards with Z68 boards. That didn't happen. Z68 wasn't early enough. Um, the issue with the BIOS is, is, you're right, is a much better question. And I asked a couple of people, yeah and because the b2 and b3 steppings are identical on these motherboards Ah. have the p67a gd65 b3 it is identical to the b2 um in terms of the bios so one bios update will be good for either or you'll be able to use uh the bios updates for that motherboard for your b2 stepping it won't affect Anything in that regard, so you don't have to worry about cool. them not updating and, and, and releasing new BIOS or EFI revisions for uh, for your board. So um, tell the naysayers that you are not crazy. That both <laughs> Patrick and Ryan thought it was completely a viable solution to just leave well enough alone. Yeah,
0: I mean it's it's not one of those things where you where you've got like you know what I mean sometimes you run into errors with a chipset or or more likely actually the way a board is manufactured. Um, yeah. I've seen cases where a board is manufactured, like they had problems with the PGA soldering on, on the board for, for a GPU or a very specialized high end graphics card for like, you know, video capture or something. And, you know, your board kind of worked, but if it got hot one too many times, um, the pins would actually start separating and it would get worse and worse over time as the card heated up and cooled down and heated up and cooled down and, and, and flexed. Um, if the three gigabyte set of ports go, they go. It doesn't impact the rest of the chipset. So that's a big plus. We, uh, we're we going to hold off on a question about getting a digital to analog converter that's basically a, a high-end audio device to make your ears happy or not. Daniel's wondering if there's any point to that. <laughs> we're going to talk about that next week along with an email from Darren talking about storage area networks uh, which is basically a fancy way of saying somebody's pre-assembled free NAS box lets me store stuff <laughs> on the internets which is a good way to do local storage before you back it up offline somewhere else because I can't resist the urge to tell people to back up every chance I can.
1: At least one more time in there, right?
0: <laughs> just just for the sheer unbridled joy of it. Um, what's coming up on PC Purr this week?
1: Um, I don't know if I mentioned this. We do have... All the testing is done on the, G, uh, the GTX 462 win card from EVGA. Just trying to compile all that stuff together. Um, also, uh, people who follow me on Twitter probably realize I was asking about home theater PC remotes. And I found a couple that I'm going to be kind of eh, not really reviewing, but just kind of editorializing, discussing on. You'll see this little thing right here. Is that um, the No, it is, uh, I forget what brand it is, model RT-MWK01. It's, it was pretty cheap. It was like 35 bucks on Amazon. Mm-hmm. It's got a full keyboard type deal. It's got like a little um, touchpad there. And it has the integrated, it's got the 2.4 gigahertz wireless USB right. things. you plug this into the laptop, boom, you're ready to go. It's rechargeable. It's got a physical on-off switch, so battery life won't be an issue there. But um, oh, it doesn't I, have I a need... trackball
0: like my Lenovo controller does.
1: <laughs> no, it does not, no. It has a laser pointer on it, though. Yeah, Ooh, yeah. You're kidding?
0: No, it really not. has a laser
1: pointer? It has a laser pointer on the end, yeah. It won't show up, but um, it's kind of nice. It's, it's a little bit clunky, but for 30 bucks, I figure it's worth trying. Also, I mentioned this on the PC Perspective podcast last night. If you have an Android phone, look up mm-hmm. Unified Remote. It's a piece of software you install on your computer and then on your phone, and you can use it as a remote control for your computer. Just, you know, like the touchscreen is like the touchpad on your, on your laptop. Uh, and, you know, you click, double-click, you bring up the keyboard and type stuff in. It's actually really, really cool, and it's... Free, you know, donations accepted type of thing. But it was a really cool application. Um, you you need
0: purpose. to talk to Robert Herron about some of the some of the sort of iPhone and Android control systems for home theater systems. Okay, he has spent a lot of quality time doing terrible, terrible things with perfectly innocent remote controls. <laughs>
1: That sounds more weird than it probably is, but I will give him uh, a shout and see uh, what his kind of recommendations are. I, I know a lot of people talk about the, the uh, Logitech De novo Mini, but that one was, I mean, that was like 120 bucks or something like that. Um, yeah. So I figured I'd, I would try the cheap knockoff <laughs> brand. It's funny, that if I, had, I wish I had the box here in front of me because the box looks just like a Logitech box as well. <laughs> it has the black to teal type of fade going on and stuff. It's Can nice. you say Chinese knockoff? Yeah. Yeah, hey, and if it works, that's fine. Also, uh, we should have the new website design at pcper.com up. I'm trying for tonight over and, and into Friday, so cool. check that out and see if you can break the site later, I guess. That's all. <laughs> Don't uh, how about on site. TechZilla or HD Nation? Well, I'm going to be out next week,
0: so that's kind oh, of exciting. Sorry. I do know that uh, Adam Pass from Lifehacker, he's, he's like the EIC over at Lifehacker, is on. We're talking about... Uh, Crash plan and backing stuff up, and what's going on with their new Revision 3 show. Basically, Life Hacker's doing a TV show with uh, the crew here at Revision 3. Um, we talk about sort of the emergency kit, some desk kit options for drying out cell phones if you get them wet as we sort of get into the spring rain, <laughs> beginning of the beach season. That's a good uh, idea. And we had a really funny viewer question involving a cat, the cat vomiting a Roku box and trying to resurrect it. Uh, sadly, the the, the Textile viewer in question did not FedEx us the cat vomit encrusted Roku box. <laughs> yeah, probably good, but it would have been really fun to do it on camera. Um, and of course, we got uh, some product reviews, HD Nation, and uh, uh, some new HDTVs uh, reviews coming up next week. The, all the 2011 HDTVs are showing up. Um, uh, the 8000s from Samsung, which we haven't finished benchmarking yet, but we we got one in house, and it looks fantastic. It cool. is just, is, I loves me some shiny new HCTVs. I think that's it for this week in computer hardware. I'm Patrick Dorton. I'm Ryan Trout. we will see you next week.